faithful. That's the word of that parable, isn't it? Parable of the talents. Being faithful with what God has given you. What you going to do with what you got? That's where we're going today. Uh, but first, let me tell you about a program that Sarah and I watch together. No, it's not the PGA. Thank you, Lord Jesus, she said. But it's a program titled, Tell Me More. Tell Me More. I don't know if you have seen this series on PBS. It's hosted by an author named uh, Kelly Corrigan. Tell Me More. Uh, Tell Me More features insightful interviews with notable guests. Corrigan does all the interviewing. And uh, so some of her guests uh, have included attorney Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative, powerful interview, powerful interview, uh, actor Jennifer Garner, uh, journalists uh, David Brooks and Judy Woodruff, they were separate interviews, uh, and then author Michael Lewis, uh, who wrote Moneyball, who wrote uh, The Big Short, and, and I think what we like about the, quest- uh, the, the program are the questions that Corrigan asks. In fact, if you did nothing else, you could just benefit from learning how to ask thoughtful, insightful questions of others. And that's what she does. In a pretty relaxed setting, she uh, uh, conducts friendly interviews. Uh, she's both disarming uh, and deep. And, and so at the conclusion of her interview, She typically asks the same question to each of our guests, and it's this question. She asks, if you could say four words to anyone, living or dead, who would you address and what would you say? Four words to anyone, living or dead, who would you address and what would you say? And uh, Judy Woodruff, who is a a uh, decades-long journalist, She thought for a moment, and she said, well, she said, I would address this to every politician who ever lived, and here's her four words, tell us the truth. (laughs) Another one of her guests said this, who would you address, and what four words would you say? I would address Jesus, and then here's the four words. Is it really true? I love that. I love that. Uh, It made me think of all of the characters in the Christmas account. Who would you interview if you had the opportunity of all the characters in the Christmas account? Who would you you interview? To whom would you say, tell me more? Tell me more. Uh, Mary? What about the Magi? What about the angel Gabriel? Uh, what, what about the shepherds? What about the shepherds? Huh? For me, I'm curious about Joseph. Joseph. Jo- Joseph. Joseph the just. Joseph of Nazareth. Joseph the earthly father 
of Jesus. Called to live a life for which he didn't volunteer. Joseph. Yeah. And here's my four words. Here's my four words I would ask Joseph. How'd you do it? How'd you do it? Tell me more. If you have your Bibles, meet me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And I want us to learn from this amazing man of God. You'll find Matthew 1, 18 to 25 on page 807 of your church Bibles. And, and I believe that Joseph is the answer to the question in the parable of the talents, what does faithfulness look like? Well, what, what, so you got five talents, you got two talents, you're faithful with those. What does that look like? What does that look like in real life? I think we'll find the answer here in Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. It's interesting, as you read this chapter here, Joseph doesn't say a word in the New Testament. Not one syllable uh, is uttered from his mouth. Others talk. Shepherds talk. Mary talks. Gabriel the angel talks, the Magi talk, Elizabeth talks, Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, talks until he doesn't talk, and then he talks again. Not Joseph. He is without word in the New Testament, and yet his life speaks loudly. He works through initial uncertainty about Mary. He obeys God and marries her. Then he's got to pack up and flee to Egypt, making refugees of his family. And then he returns to Israel and rears Jesus in Nazareth of Galilee. In every scene in Joseph's life, he promptly takes action 
without pause, and without speech. As one commentator says, his speech is to do the will of God. His quiet life speaks loudly about this word here, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is about doing, not about saying you're going to do. Faithfulness is about acting out God's will, not just saying what God's will is. Faithfulness heeds God's word, not just hears God's word. Faithfulness. And I came here to tell you that Joseph was faithful, like the good and faithful servants in the parable of the talents, Joseph received an assignment from God, and he's told to get on it, and he does. And I believe that he can teach us something about following Christ. And and so here's why his life matters. You have to understand this if we're going to appreciate all that Joseph has to teach us. So the gospel, according to Matthew, was more than just a written historical biography of Jesus. Matthew is writing to a spiritual community. Imagine a church gathering and and you have one book in the New Testament. That's it. Matthew. Matthew. So what are we going to learn from this gospel about Matthew? So Matthew's gospel is more than a biography or a religious biography. Matthew's gospel is a discipleship manual. It is a book that tells us what following Jesus faithfully looks like. And all throughout Matthew's gospel, we see, well, here's what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Christ. See, this is why the Sermon on the Mount is there in Matthew's in Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7. So it's a, it's a manual written to form us into faithful followers of Christ. And, and so what we see in Joseph's life is that Matthew says, look, let me show you in flesh and blood what a real life authentic follower of Jesus looks like. So get this. Joseph is the first active character in Matthew's gospel, which makes him the very first active character in the entire New Testament, you see. Joseph is here to teach us about the quality of life that pleases God. What kind of life makes God smile? The faithful life. Joseph teaches us about being faithful when disillusioned, faithful when informed, and faithful to the end. Let's first consider Joseph, his faithfulness when disillusioned. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now already, you and I know something that Joseph doesn't know yet. Do you see that? Matthew tells us that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that Joseph took Mary out to an elegant restaurant on a romantic date 
where sometime during the evening he popped the question. It's not what that means. It means that her parents and his parents negotiated an arranged marriage. I thought that was a horrible idea when I was 17. At 62, I think it's brilliant. And possibly this arrangement occurred when they were children. See, And so now, now they're living life together, and they're living life in, in the neighborhood, in the community. And, so, and then later when they were older, a bride price would be paid, and a year-long season of betrothal would occur. And betrothals would take effect with two witnesses the consent of the couple. So, so at some point in the stage, uh, Joseph and Mary would have yeah, consented, okay? But then in addition to that, there'd be an official declaration by the groom, okay? And so then at the betrothal, they were legally married, legally, although they lived separately with their families of origin. Celibate. According to Deuteronomy 22, advances toward anyone else would be interpreted as adultery. And had one of them died, the other would be considered widowed. So it was a, it was a very structured, very pious, very traditional, very disciplined custom. That's, that's what's going on here with this word, had been betrothed. It just speaks of an entire cultural uh, context. And then before they came together, before the ceremony, the scripture says that, that Mary became pregnant. That's the phrase, she was found to be with child. Can you think about how serious that conversation would have been? I mean, it's reasonable to assume that she was the one who told Joseph she was pregnant, but we don't know for sure. The text doesn't specifically say that she told Joseph that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. At any rate, had she done that, would you have believed her? I mean, you're Hebrew, you're Orthodox, you're, you're a conscientious, by-the-book believer, and now this. I mean, I mean, how could Joseph not think that Mary was both unfaithful and dishonest, you see? And so verse 19 says, and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he was planning to divorce her. Sit in that. Divorce her quietly. What would it mean to divorce her loudly? Well, here's what it would mean. It would mean making the matter public by going to a judge suing for a refund on the bride price and exposing Mary to public shame and ruining her life and, and her name and her reputation. That, that's what it would mean. Divorcing her quietly would, would simply be writing a certificate of, of divorce signed by two witnesses and then just hoping the thing will go away. And that's what Joseph was thinking, okay? And the scripture says, why? Well, because he was a just 
man. Now let's just put the pause button on here and talk about us for a minute, all right? Why'd water come out of that bottle? Ah, that's right. No, let me, let me change the tone, intonation of that question. Why did water come out of that bottle? Because water was in it. Tell you more. If you are shaken by the behavior of others, by the words or actions from your spouse or your colleagues or your church family, whatever comes out of you was already inside of you. It, it, it will not do, as far as the Bible goes, to blame my reactions on the other person because nothing can come out of my life that wasn't first in my heart. The stress doesn't cause it. The stress reveals it. Now, I'm not saying that you won't be sinned against because Joseph thought he was being sinned against. I'm not saying that you won't be sinned against. If, 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 if you are married, if you work, if you live in the world, if you attend a church, give it enough time. You will sin and you will be sinned against. But whatever your actions, reactions or responses, they always emerge from what's inside you. And that's what we see with Joseph. Verse 19 says that Joseph was a just man. He was a just man. And that's why he had decided to divorce her quietly. See, uh, The word just, by the way, some of your translations have the word righteous. Righteous. So when Joseph was squeezed in the vice grip of public scandal and personal pain, righteousness emerged. You see that? This context was an occasion for righteousness to come out of his life. And how does Joseph display his righteousness? How does he display his righteous life? This text tells us he was unwilling to put her to shame. He refused to humiliate her. He wasn't going to disgrace her. So in other words, he was compassionate, merciful, forgiving, loving. Do you see what Matthew is doing for us, shaping us into the likeness of Christ? He's trying to teach us that, that a redefinition of righteousness means that when you are squeezed, your life produces mercy, love, forgiveness, and compassion. Does it? Yeah, Joseph dealt compassionately with Mary as an outcome of his commitment to God. So, so righteousness is vertical and horizontal. 
Vertically, righteousness is sensitivity to God and His Word. Horizontally, righteousness is sensitivity to the needs of others. Oh, what would it look like if over the next few weeks you chose charity over animosity? You're going to be in a situation calling for that? One of two. Which will it be? Charity or animosity? Compassion or bitterness? Gentleness or harshness? Which is it going to be? Which is it going to be? Paul says in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So when squeezed, what's in you will eventually come out of you. The stress didn't cause it. The stress revealed it. Well, what's Joseph going to do? Well, verse 20 says that as he considered these things, he considered these things. Considered, circle that word. It means to take it to heart, to, to passionately process internally. So, so it's a word that has to do not just with thinking but feeling. And it's, there's, some per, there's, some, there's the production of some internal heat going on. And while all this is going on, God sent an angel to Joseph informing him of God's perspective. The scripture says that while he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Of course you feel hurt, Joseph. Of course you feel betrayed. Of course, of course. And here's the whole story. Mary is telling the truth. Mary is morally pure. Mary is with child through the Holy Spirit by the will of God. By the will of God the Father, God the Spirit has genesised God the Son in the womb of the Virgin. The pregnancy is supernatural. So the angel awakens Joseph to God's reality. You're just looking at it from your reality. Let me help you. God says, here's my reality. I know the plans that you may have had for your life. I know that you may have wanted that quaint little house with a family and a carpentry business. And I know you didn't sign up for this. But here's God's plan. Take Mary as your wife. She will bear a son. Name the son Jesus, for he will save the people, his people, from their sins. Joseph needed revealed truth from on high. And here is, just don't, 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 don't buy this too quickly because there's a lesson for us. In order for us to know the ways of God and his son Jesus Christ, those ways have to be revealed to us. We're not going to be able to figure this out on our own. We can't attain to this believing on our own. God needs to intervene. And when he does, when God reveals his word, it has the power to transform us from skepticism to truth, from disbelief to belief. And that's exactly what happened in Joseph's life. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. And though they were still celibate, until after Jesus' birth. Why, why is that? I mean, this is just utterly repetitious that Matthew is telling us 
their celibacy until after the birth of Christ. Why? Because Matthew does not want us making the same mistake that Joseph made. The birth of Jesus is due exclusively to the supernatural conception by the Spirit of God. Jesus was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, uh, we do not believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary because the Scriptures don't teach that. Write down Matthew 13, 55, and 56. Those verses tell us that Jesus had at least four other brothers and at least two sisters. Six siblings. God did not give Joseph a new situation. He just gave him perspective. Revelation from on high. Verse 20 says that Joseph, the address is Joseph, son of David. What's that about? Joseph is in the lineage of King David. The Messiah would be in the lineage of King David. Joseph realized that his role as father of a child, not his own. By his marriage to Mary, he was assuming responsibility for the son. He was going to rear the son. And by his marriage to Mary, Jesus would be in the lineage of David. Joseph's supernaturally given perspective helped him to see what his own capacities could not. But once informed, he had to subordinate his own perplexed pain, trusting that all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So, so this was no colossal mistake. This was a part of fulfilled prophecy. And faithfulness then always leads to action. The decision to get up and do what the Lord has commanded us to do and to subordinate every other thought and desire to the revealed will of God. In our Advent reading, Who were the good and faithful servants? Weren't they the ones who went at once putting what was not theirs to work? So so knowing the word of God is not enough. Doing the word of God is what matters. And our faithful obedience to the revealed word of God will almost certainly mean that we will look foolish to everyone else because God's wisdom always looks foolish to the world. Why do we keep trying to to make the gospel palatable to a world that sees it as foolishness? Saying yes to God, trusting Him, and joining His work means suppressing the urge to, to justify ourselves or explain ourselves or be understood or control the narrative or otherwise seek self self validation. We need what the Apostle Paul proclaimed in Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I mean, that was Joseph's commission. And one of the more notable 
features of Joseph's life is that that while he really doesn't take center stage, his supporting role requires extremely important decisions. And we might think that our walk of faith doesn't matter that much, but I tell you what, church family, nothing could be further from the truth. Your faithfulness matters. It, It matters if we do, and it matters if we don't. And when we say yes to God, we open possibilities that we never thought likely. And, and so, something Joseph learned soon after God drafted him to be the earthly father of Jesus was that his plans were out the window. Whatever future Joseph had originally imagined for himself and for Mary evaporated in the light of God's reality. Uh, The late Tim Keller once said these words, when you come to Christ, you must drop your conditions. You, You have to give up the right to say, I will obey you if, I will do this if. As soon as you say, I will obey you if, that's not obedience at all. Rather, you are saying, Jesus, you're my advisor. You're my consultant. You're not my king. And I'll, I'll be happy to take your recommendations, and I, I might even do some of them. That's not the gospel, church. If you want Jesus with you, you have to give up the right to self-determination. Self-denial is an act of rebellion against our late modern culture of self-assertion. But that's what we're called to. Nothing less. And that's what Joseph did as he faithfully followed. He, you think this part of his life was difficult? Keep reading about his life. I mean, after this, there was the Roman census. Then there was the grueling trip to Bethlehem during the hardest part of pregnancy. There was birth in a cave. There was no steady income. There was an assassination attempt. There were two desert crossings on foot with a child. There's living in a foreign country. There's waiting on God for last-minute guidance and provision. This path was difficult, dangerous, expensive, time-consuming, and career-delaying. And it was all God's will. Church family, we need, we need to, to just reorient our own perception of progress so that it matches God's. You know, we often want to define our life based on our perception of progress, right? Am I where I thought I would be at this age? Have I achieved what I thought I would? Are my dreams more or less real today? Am I happy in my marriage? Am I happy in my family? Am I happy in my career? Is my life successful? The reality is life is never defined by our performance or our circumstances. What makes any life worth living is the presence and protection and pleasure of Almighty God. And, and the reality is, we can, every one of us in here can, can imagine something better for ourselves than our circumstances today. Whatever your circumstances are, you know you can imagine something better than what they are today. The greater reality and God's greater perspective is that if you love and follow Jesus, our great God always, 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 always writes a better story than we could write ourselves. And the better 
is based on this, that God himself is the best and most satisfying possession you could ever have or experience. And therefore, fullness of life is not ultimately found from below, but from on high. In your nearness to God through faith. Like Joseph, the unplanned, inefficient detours of our lives, are, are, they're the ones planned by God. Because God's ways are not our ways. And they're frequently bewildering to us. But they're always better because God is orchestrating far more than we can see or know in every unexpected event and delay. And that empowers Joseph, who has been faithful in his disillusionment, faithful when informed. He is faithful to the very end. He doesn't even get naming rights. Verse 21, Matthew makes a word play. Name him God saves or God save. Why? Because he himself will save his people from their sins. So so Jesus is a human Hebrew, which is behind the Hebrew name Jesus or Jesus. Yeshua or Joshua and Jesus is the divine Lord which is behind the name God saves so the name indicates who he is and what he does Jesus is like no other baby ever born he is not God disguised as a human no 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 that's not what the scripture says it says he is God in the flesh fully God fully human. He is Emmanuel. He is the with us God. We worship the with us God. He's not distant. He's not disinterested. He's not far away. He's up close. He sees you. He gets you. And then there's that phrase, his people. Who are his people? His people are some from every tongue and tribe and nation and language. That's who. His people are not just Hebrews, but non-Hebrews, Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, Cretans, Africans, Asians, Europeans, Caribbean, the Americans, Mexicans. God's people are global. This is why we often hear the Scripture in song and in word in languages other than our, our language of birth. Because God's people are global. And all of God's people need rescue. And Jesus was born to liberate us from our own evils. His people from their sin. And Joseph was part of that story. He, think about this, he would parent the son who would one day save him. I know what faithfulness is. Faithful when disillusioned, faithful when informed, faithful to the end. I know what faithfulness is. Faithfulness chooses God's will by obeying God's word. Do you believe that? For Matthew, the heart of the story is about a a just and good man who wakes up one day to find his life wrecked. 
His fiance is pregnant. His trust has been betrayed. His name has been ruined. His future has been revoked. His dreams for the life he thought he wanted shattered. And in the midst of this, he faces a decision. And out of a heart of righteousness and love and compassion and mercy, he chooses the will of God. He obeys the word of God. Some of you right here, right now, are in circumstances. And you're asking yourself, how did I get here? How did I get here? And now you're asking, how do I get out of here? And you may, not want, you may want nothing more than to divorce yourself from everything you see around you and from whatever your life has become. And I'm telling you, in that, in that very moment, especially in your exhaustion, God invites you to hear the whisper of his word. And the word says, go ahead and do the thing you fear. Do the thing you fear. Why? Because we worship the with us God that's why and you may not have the life you signed up for but God can be born in your life too if you will trust him God can be at work even in the midst of your own shattered dreams these verses invite us to accept the whole sticky mess and cradle it in our arms Jesus came to save, and there's nothing too hard for him, nothing. And what Joseph was commended for was not for knowing everything, but for doing the next right thing. What's the next right thing for you? What is that? Don't worry about the big picture. God's already told you the big picture. All right? And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the end game. We, we, Jesus wins, and we're on his team because of him. What We win. What? That's the big picture. We're going to be in heaven serving Jesus. So for now, do the next right thing. Do the next right thing in the right way. That's what God expects of us in the moment. What, what will we do that only a Christian would do? Okay, I'll give you one more verse, and then I'm going to sit down. It's Mark chapter 7, verse 37. Mark chapter 7, verse 37. Mark 7, 37. When Jesus was an adult in the middle of his ministry, people were astounded by his miracles and his teaching. And then this is what they said. This is very interesting. Mark 7, 37. This is what they said. He has done all things well. He's done all things well. I love that. You see who Jesus is? He's the God who saves. He's the true and greater Joseph. He's the just man who was unwilling to put us to shame. Instead, he took our blame. Instead, what do we see at the cross? We see the ultimate husband covering the multitude of our very real sins. Where's my hope? Where's my peace? Where's my righteousness? I've not been doing all things well. I'll take heart. Jesus has. Joseph may inspire us for Christmas, but only Jesus can redeem us. He's done all things well. He is faithful. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your mercy and your compassion and your love and your forgiveness, your righteousness who came in the flesh 
to rescue us and save us from our sins. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And thank you for the lives of followers. And we just want to follow the followers who follow you. Help us do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and the church said,